guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and you're listening to Specify, the Building Materials Innovation Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help the entrepreneurs and the innovators who are making a positive difference in the building materials, coatings, and construction industry. Each episode, we'll tap leaders and experts from inside and outside the industry to provide the mental tools, skills, and insights to make an impact. Today's guest is James Aiken, a top headhunter in the building materials industry, and he works for the company Legacy Search. He's an avid user of LinkedIn and has amassed almost 30,000 contacts on the platform. James, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So, uh, James, tell me more about your background. Yeah, so we can get kind of the the, the high level overview. I mean, I'm was born in Georgia, moved to Mississippi, came to South Carolina when my father retired from the military and came back here to get more uh, family oriented because both my sets of grandparents are here and all the families here. Went through college at USC in Columbia. Once we graduated, I, I got kind of involved in the recruiting industry. My first job out of college was uh, with human technology. So a local firm around here, they've really grown regionally over the last couple of years, kind of saw the, or got introduced to the industry, saw the potential in it and really just changed my trajectory or my vision into, okay, how can I go from being a, a recruiting assistant to running my own firm or running an agency and just kind of chopped it up year over year and slowly got more and more independent. And yeah, here we are now. I've been running Legacy Search for a little bit over three years, and uh, we've really made a niche for ourselves in the building materials industry. Had a lot of fun doing it, bringing a lot of a lot of new ideas and new angles on recruiting to the market. And, and yeah, we've been been enjoying it and having a lot of fun. Very cool. So, uh, why did you specifically focus on the building uh, materials industry? So there's two sides to it. So my degree is actually in real estate development. Uh-huh. And I had originally, whenever I got out of school, we were doing commercial development and everything in school. And I was like, ah, I want to get into sales. So I went to <laughs> actually a short story. I won't take too much time, but there's a, a local builder around here. I do a lot of work and uh, Bo Autry of Autry Windsor. And I was just dead set on meeting Bo Autry. And I'm like, all right, this guy, he's going to be, you know, I, I've got to learn from the best in the, uh, in the area because there's another fellow around here, Bob Hughes, who's a huge, huge deal, but yeah. he's like, he's moving in shadows and stuff. So it's a different story getting in front of him. But yeah, one morning I just hung out in front of his office. I think I got there at 6 AM, just hung around until he showed up and uh, I got a meeting with him because I was emailing, I was talking with secretaries, could never get through said, all right, I got to go direct. There's obviously no other way that I can get in front of this guy. So I talked with him about the industry and he's like, yeah, you got to, he's like, if you want to succeed in it, you got to get your CCIM. And uh, he's like, but I I will tell you, he's like, if you're starting off right now, it's going to be a year, year and a half before you're able to even make any money selling because of the lead times. And as a very broke fella coming out of uh, college. <laughs> I was uh, not really excited by that news. 
And, and so I was like, all right, well, I've got to, I've got to get a job, right? I can't go jobless. So that's how I ended up getting into, into recruiting to begin with. So I always had that in the back of my mind. I always had the real estate thing in the back of my mind. And whenever I went to HTI, we were focused on manufacturing, things like that. Once I made the leap to becoming a, what they call a 360 recruiter, it's, uh, they're developing business and fulfilling the business. I was like, well, you know, it'd be fun if I could kind of make those two worlds connect now, now that I have a little bit more freedom. I started looking around in the real estate, construction, building materials markets. And then a few of our clients ended up being in the building materials industry right out of the gate. They were pretty large names. And so I said, hey, we're already getting the ball rolling here. Let's just kind of stay in this industry because we like the people. We like the deals that we're working. We enjoyed the manufacturers and the distributors that we're working with. So why change a good thing? And learning how the supply chain works and learning how the entire market works was just exciting. And being able to be a part of a industry like that. And so we, because of the past success, we kind of built ourselves up around the industry because we had had so much success. It helped with our, our marketing and just building our network perpetually instead of just being spread out everywhere. Because I had previously been with a firm where they'd be in aerospace and then they'd be in automotive and then they'd be you know, here and there. And, and none of it was repeatable. Mm. We weren't working with the same people over and over and over. And I'm thinking, there's no advantage to this. We're never getting... We're, we're spread wide, but we're never really getting deep in anything. We're never really truly becoming experts of our clients. So... That's really how I got my start in the building materials industry, why I got my start there and why we've been there for, I've been in it for, I guess, about six years now, even though Legacy Search is four years. My time at Penpoint was spent in the industry as well. Okay. So what, what specific challenges exist in the building materials industry? Because I know we're in it. It's very convoluted. Right. So you said I was excited learning about it. What specific challenges have you found? So without being too obvious, I mean, everybody talks about the lack of talent in the industry, really from the bottom up, but also in the, in the mid ranks. I have a lot of clients that talk about being stressed from the gap in experience because of what happened in 08 and the years thereafter where we have a lot of very experienced people. And then we're just now getting a flow of, kind of newcomers, new potential. So that's been a big issue for, or at least that I've seen in the market. I know that also a lot of, you know, I don't want to be too negative, but a lot of, a lot of distributors and many manufacturers as well don't really have a, a strong presence on the internet and they don't recruit the way that many firms outside of the industry do. There seems to be that huge need, but in a lot of ways, they haven't developed their strategy on how to, how to satiate that need for talent. It seems like it's kind of the same. A lot of firms are just doing the same thing of posting jobs and then hoping somebody good shows up. They complain about the, the quality of the candidates on job boards, but they many of them don't have a plan B or you know another angle that they're going at. So those have been some specific to the industry that I've seen where it's just it hasn't 
with the social media outreach, with the just internet marketing, there hasn't been this huge investment by the majority of firms to really make a change. It's more of, yeah, we've got this problem, but it, mm-hmm. it's a problem. We see it in the news. It's always going to be a problem. There's no talent. There's no way to get anybody. This is just the nature of the business. And it, it's kind of like, there's ways around it. There's ways mm-hmm. that you can get more people aware of your brand, more people aware of mm-hmm. the opportunities that you can provide to associates in the area and just ways that you can really market to your candidates as opposed to your customers. Because I mean, that seems like the, the biggest leak of all where, like I said, I mean, companies are great at advertising to their, their customers, but when it comes to finding talent and, and their candidates, it's typically ends up being a more simple process and just sticking with the standard, the standard medication there. Yeah. So, so you said advertising to their talent. Now, what does that look like? Like, okay, we're talking about social media presence, internet, like Mm. how do you advertise to uh, talent? So a big part of it is you've got to show the market what not only what the opportunity is, but what the opportunity is specific to the profiles that you're looking for. So whenever I talk with candidates and they're looking to improve their career, a lot of the times that means maybe you have someone that is an in-home salesperson that wants to become a salesperson that's facing the trades or that's selling the contractors or that's getting involved with bigger deals. But these companies aren't necessarily leading with the value that they are looking to provide to associates that they hire, like how they're going, how that associate joining their firm is ultimately going to build their career long term. So, what we suggest, and what I've seen, what we've talked about, one of your other guests suggesting is getting a better getting a better content strategy when it comes to growing company bonds with or between associates or candidates and that company itself. So the example we gave was if somebody is, if you are a, let's say you're a sales manager and you want to find a a salesperson that's selling the contractors. Mm -hmm. So we can actually, through video and everything, we can show people ride-alongs. We can show people Okay, here's some builds we've been working on that we're really proud of. Here's our offices. Here's the manager. You want to be able to get people introduced to your company and really, but without them necessarily having to make that direct connection. Mm. The reason being a lot of high performers are obviously getting beat over the head with recruiters that are contacting them. So it's kind of like with ad blindness. I think a lot of people just get recruiter blindness and maybe they, <laughs> they see certain subjects or people are pushing job descriptions over to them. They're sick of seeing, seeing themselves be, I guess, pulled towards roles that make no sense for them. Like you have manufacturers, reps that are getting called in for customer service roles and, and they're just tired of being trying to be pulled into interview processes that they have no interest in and that don't, improve their careers. So naturally, whenever people aren't wanting to make that direct connection, we have to offer some type of strategy or some type of level of communication that's going to give them the the opportunity to consume content or to grow closer to your company, but without making that direct connection. Because 
they don't necessarily want to raise their hands. They don't necessarily want to immediately get involved in an interview process. If they're happy where they are, they're not going to cover off the ball every single day. They're overperforming. They're happy. They're making their boss happy. The last thing they really want to do is get caught up in an hour-long conversation about something that they're not interested in to begin with. So we have to really just show them those content that sparks the curiosity, content that is driving a little bit of excitement about what if, maybe this is for me. Maybe if you have somebody that, that comes in on a Monday and they all of a sudden they, they're not feeling as energized about it. And then they see some content about, or not feeling as energized about their current role. And then they see some content about a local distributor that that's mm-hmm. doing some big things in the area. And that kind of sparks the interest there, as opposed to me just going up to them and saying, Hey, I've got the perfect job for you. Here it is right <laughs> here. You definitely want to move over here. Yeah. Just forget about what you're making now. You're going to be able to make so much more over here. Like it, yeah. it, it's, I think too many people are trying to rush people into a process where, hey, why not give them a little bit more independence, give them the opportunity to take themselves through the process at their own speed. And that's why we kind of preach the the long term. You want to have a long term strategy because not everybody is always ready to move. Yeah. But we can create some level of communication with them and we can figure out, okay, what are their aspirations? What are they ultimately looking for? How are they looking to build their career? And then whenever we do have opportunities that open up, that make sense for how that person is looking to build their career, well, they're already there. That We can already talk to them. We already have rapport with them. They're already relatively interested in the company versus you have no outbound or you're, you're driving no traffic to your company in regards to opportunities because you say, oh, well, we don't have an opening right now. But yeah. then whenever you do have an opening, all of a sudden you turn it on and it's panic mode. And you're like, okay, I need people now, 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 now. And yeah. you're starting from zero. That and you're trying sense. to warm these. You want to hire the top people and you're not giving them enough time to warm up. You're trying to just sling them into a process that they were perfectly happy a week ago in their current role before you contacted them. Now you're trying to convince them that they, they weren't happy or that they could be happier somewhere else when you don't even know anything about them yet. Absolutely. So that's why, that's why we say <laughs> it's more of a setup like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the thing is, let's say, okay, you, you have your content, it's rolling. I remember we posted a content from one of our VPs that took a, a 21-day rafting trip down the, uh, the Grand Canyon, I guess. And I guess it was, mm-hmm. it was me 15 years to do it. And that, that sparked so much interest. So let's say there's, there's a flood of interest and people are you know, engaged. How do you best qualify that talent for, for the role? Well, it, when, it, when it comes to that, then we're talking about a screening process, mm-hmm. so it's, which is definitely different than the attracting process. So the screening process, I always lead with the aspirations. You want to figure out, okay, how are you looking to develop your career? Because that doesn't align with the role itself then you're ultimately going to have conflict when you try to retain them long-term. If they want to be a workup from being a, a representative to being a sales manager in two to four years, and you know that there's no chance of that happening, and that is kind of like their big thing, and maybe it's a smaller company where 
you have confidence that the sales manager is going to be there for a decade. You don't want to take that person into the process. So at first, we're, we're screening based on aspiration. Then we're talking about, are they functionally qualified for the role? And what have they done that applies to the function itself? If it's hey, to use the same uh, example over and over with sales, let's say it's a manufacturer's rep. So we're going to want to talk about, okay, well, tell me about your architect and design experience and working with that community and driving specifications. What is, who are you working with in the area? What's your general territory? Really just functional things. What have you been doing that applies to the role that we're talking about? And then we get into more of a culture fit, more of a let's explain exactly how the environment is, what the expectations are, what the goals are, and trying to be as, well, not trying to, but being as transparent as possible throughout the process. Because I think that a lot of the, a lot of the issues with turnover come from just painting an inaccurate picture mm. of the long-term trajectory of the role itself. And that's why we have turnover. And, you know, sometimes we'll have, or I've seen companies that will say, or distributors that will say, yeah, entry-level salesperson, you can make $100,000 your first year. And while that may be true, versus is that what the average first-year person is <laughs> making it whenever they come in? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And, but, but you don't want to set people up for that $100,000 mark. Yeah. And then when they make $50,000 the first year, they're feeling like crap because yeah. they've been sold. And even if, yes, we can always talk about, oh, well, that's because they didn't perform. Well, you know, it's a, it's, it's a two-sided situation because, yeah, maybe they didn't perform at the 1% level, but now they're sitting back thinking that they, they're thinking that they were misled a little bit. And maybe that it was easier for them to reach that 100000 And so it's, you're screening not only for the candidate fit, but like I said, the aspirations and making sure that you're completely clear on what the realistic look of the role is on a day-to-day basis or a month-to-month or year-to-year basis and how that, that role develops over time. Okay. Makes sense. Now let's say, I don't know uh, how deep you go into this process, but when a company is trying to consider who they're trying to bring on next, what are the best practices Mm -hmm. there for a company? I think that the, the most underutilized, but most effective steps that you can add in the interview process is what Jeff Hyman, who wrote recruit rock stars, he calls it a, a candidate test drive. Mm-hmm. So most people have the standard interview process down pretty well. It's the same thing. We're going over functional capabilities. We're going over culture fit. We're going over transparency on all that. And most companies are pretty good with that. Mm-hmm. What we say is add in what we call a candidate test drive. So this is something where you're only doing it to people that are very highly likely to get an offer mm-hmm. because of the amount of time that it takes to invest in this. So I'd say one or two people that you've shortlisted, and then you're going to want to bring them in for, it can vary based on the the opportunity, but maybe a half day, maybe two hours where you're putting them in a real life situation. In a sales situation, it's, it's ride-alongs. In a manufacturing situation, you're wanting them to, to walk the plant, to meet some of the team leads, to meet some of the people that they're working alongside. 
but then you're also bringing in like functional tests. So the example we always give is if it's a salesperson, if this is a, a cold call heavy role, mm-hmm. okay, we'll take them back, sit them in the back room, have a number on a post-it note and say, all right, you know about our products. You know, we've walked through this, we've walked through that. You've done this before. I want you to just call this person and I want you to, uh, to set an appointment or to go for a one call close. Mm-hmm. And the person on the line, I mean, it can be, it could be a customer. It could be a legitimate pure cold caller. It could be somebody that's internal, but you do want to give the, you do want to make it look like it's real because you want to see how they really react. And that's what it's all about is seeing how would they really be if put in the environment. Like I've seen on the manufacturing side, when you have maintenance people, okay, well, let's uh, troubleshoot this machine. Let's Mm -hmm. troubleshoot this or walk me through. I'm not, I'm not super adept at like the electrical stuff, but I'll say, walk me through this, this map here. Show me what this means. Show me what the errors here are. Really just taking functional tests and bringing them into the process there. Uh, a lot of people do personality exams. And that's re- I feel like that has really ramped up over the last couple of years. So people do like that a lot. We have seen like intellectual aptitude tests like the Wonderlick. But I think when it comes down to it, the purest form of test of functionality is just building something specific to that role that you're going to take somebody through to see exactly how they would accomplish the goal that you're setting in front of them. And really what that does, and especially if we're doing real life walkthroughs and really getting them involved with the team, it takes them from a perspective of okay, they've been in these back offices, they've been talking with leadership, they've been talking with HR, but what are things really going to be like on a 3D, in in like a 3D reality, what are they going to be like on a day-to-day basis? And once you can show a candidate that and walk them through that, they'll have a lot more confidence in their decision if they ultimately end up saying yes. If they if they go through that and then they're like, oh man, I, I wasn't so sure about that, then you <laughs> saved yourself a lot of time. <laughs> but we want to we want to make sure that they get a better idea than just this, I guess, imaginary concepts from reading certain material or from having certain conversations, the perception of that and really just show them the reality instead. So I think that that helps a lot with weeding out... <laughs> At that stage, you're not really weeding out candidates. Yeah. It's more confirming your decisions because usually they're not going to make it to that stage unless they're pretty capable. That It's more of a transition period. It's like a pre-onboarding almost. And I think that that's something that a lot of companies should take advantage of in their interview process that's not really, it, it doesn't seem to be very standard. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you use, I mentioned it before, LinkedIn a lot and uh, you've, you've amassed a lot of contacts. What are your tips? What have you learned using LinkedIn to that extent? So what have I learned from using LinkedIn? So, I mean, it is the primary B2B network. I mean, it's, I don't see why people would not be involved in it. I'm on a lot of different platforms and (laughs) there is definitely some um, platform to platform I would say a lot of people that prefer other platforms really talk down on LinkedIn. <laughs> but the whole thing is, if you're a professional, then you should be on there. If, you, if you're interested in developing your career and having your successes 
be displayed and be contacted by companies that would ultimately be able to add to your career if they have an opportunity like that, you definitely want to be on LinkedIn. As far as for me, when it comes to networking, I mean, there's nowhere that I'd rather be. Mm-hmm. Reason being because everyone is on there. We were able to, it gives you a better starting point than a phone call or an mm-hmm. email because they're getting a better idea on your expertise. They're getting a better idea on even, for example, on my account, we started doing videos more often because mm-hmm. you know, we want to be in front of our audience. We want to, I want them to see who I am. I want them to see who, how I act. And from a business development perspective, you can't really do that at scale with your core market anywhere else. I mean, you can look at Facebook, you can look at some of these other sites, but as far as a percentage of the audience, you're you're not going to get any more pure than LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. You know, Facebook is great. Yeah. So videos is what you're doing primarily these days. We're doing videos. I used to do a good bit of articles. We've tested out doing just daily updates with news or with funny things that we've seen. <laughs> I think the main thing is just the staying consistent on the activity because it's really not... It's kind of like with what we were talking about on the, on the content marketing for attracting candidates mm-hmm. to your company, where I want people to understand the level of commitment we have whenever it comes to recruiting. I want them to see the different strategies we use. And I can call them up all day and I can beat them up on the phones all day. But until you actually see the processes, until you see like the the lighthouses that we build, Mm -hmm. it's not really going to click in the same way. Whereas on LinkedIn, we can get connected, we can develop a relationship there and then take that conversation off of LinkedIn, whether by email or by phone. So it gives us a better starting point on creating that relationship. Yeah. And I don't see why that, I don't know. There's definitely no better place to be. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Now you mentioned consistency, you know, sort of maybe lay out what you mean by consistency. What are we talking about? Once a day post a few invites, like what do you mean by your activity on LinkedIn? Well, I mean, it depends on what your goal is. Mm. But what, what do you, what do you define? Like what, what's, what do you try to hit? You try and do a video a day, a video a week, like uh, just to give people an idea what it means to be consistent. I mean, me personally, if you're just talking about updates, one a day is consistent because, and this may, this may not be true, but I've always heard that past two a day, you start to get diminishing returns and, and it's all rumors. You know, people talk about, certain caps on LinkedIn, certain caps on Twitter, as far as how your, how your content gets distributed. And so I kind of bought into the rumor where if you're going over two a day, you're probably getting diminishing returns. But yeah, I would say one a day. I mean, you want to be able to be in front of your audience every single day. Not only from are your past posts going to show up, it's getting activity, but you want to make sure you're hitting them with something new. Because what you shared with them on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday might not have been right on target with what they were looking for. Might have been on target for some other people, but on Thursday, that might be the right thing. That might be the thing that they're most interested in. Because we can go from talking, like on my stream, we can go from talking about, okay, here's how you should develop your resume to here's how you should market your candidacy to 
MI just had an acquisition and then it's just all kinds of, you just want to like with the other content strategy, you want to just give people a lot of opportunities to interact, to see who you are, to see what you're doing and to uh, really understand you as an expert in your market. Actually, there's one that there's a fellow that <laughs> here in Carolina that I think he does pretty well. He's it's called the concrete cowboy. Yeah. And what he does is I think it's just about every week he'll do a video on really just different mixes, different tactics on using mixes. Nice. And it's all these walkthrough things. And so I know that for his audience, for what he's doing, people have got to be eating that up. I mean, <laughs> people that are in the flooring industry, maybe not. But people yeah. in his industry, they're gonna they're gonna be consistently consuming that content. And then more and more people are going to recognize him as an expert in that market. Nice. All comes back down to content. Now, just uh, going into, you know, you've been involved in lots of different things and you you touched on things a bit in the past, but when in your sort of life or your career where you experienced the most growth, like where you were transformed, Mm -hmm. when would you think that sort of pinpoint moment was for you? With your current venture, do you feel like you sort of hit a stride recently or? Or is that sort of, you're one of those that say, you know what, it's always a process. There's never one point. Like I get, I get two types on the show. Well, so you gotta, I mean, you gotta say it's kind of both because, but I, to answer your question specifically, I think one of the biggest changes for me was when I took that first step to go completely independent Mm -hmm. and decided, okay, I want to do this on my own. I want to build an agency. And I went through my first six months, just, I mean, it was, it was tough. It was grinding like crazy. You know, I was a new name. I had some clients, but as far as developing brand new business with a brand new company, it was definitely an uphill battle. But once, once it started getting traction, you start to, I don't know, you go from visualization to reality. And when you have something that you've wanted for so long and when you've thought about it for so long and you've focused on it for so long and it starts to come to fruition, then it just gives you, I'm trying to think of a different word than, than power. Cause it almost has a negative connotation, but it, it makes you feel powerful. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel like I can't do anything. If I, it it starts to, once that reality starts to set Mm -hmm. in where I have gotten this far, I think when you talk about growth in your career, it was more of like growth in my mindset Mm -hmm. where by making it happen the first go round, it was like, okay, well, what's next? Where do we take this? How do we do more? How do we innovate? How do we, what other markets should we get into? Because originally, actually, technically, the main market I was focused on was just windows and doors when I really first got my start. Mm-hmm. And so we were really, really niched down. And, and then it was like, all right, well, we need to start talking with other companies in this industry. We need to start meeting more people and, and branching out and, yeah. you know, okay, I'll bring in other recruiters. We'll, we'll do this. And I think that was the biggest growth point. I don't know if I would mm-hmm. say career, but just mentality and, and potential. Yeah. But, would also agree on the other on the flip side where yeah it is a, a consistent thing because I mean you can't really ever stop but I think that was just a nice catalyst to the whole process where you're like okay well it worked once 
we can try out some different things. We can take different risks and we can offer different plans and offer different services without necessarily being worried or anxious. Yeah. You know, it's let's just test these things out. I mean, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But what if it does work? I mean, because yeah. we always wanted to try to do things unlike the... So for example, just a quick aside, I got my recruiting chops by this fellow named Steve Finkel. And if anybody's been in the recruiting industry, <laughs> probably not my age, but you know, if they've been in it 10, 20 years, they may know him from way back. Because I've, I've got his three books sitting over on my shelf and they're on old style binding and all this. And it's from the, the days where all you really had was paper files and, and paper resumes. Things were getting faxed in. All I really had was a phone. And it's going from that. But then you recognize, wow, well, a lot of these firms, they're operating the same exact way and the same exact mm. processes. It's just they've added in the computer. And so now it's <laughs> like, oh, well, to, to do it for the, the year 2000, looking into the future from the past, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. Well, now we have uh, email and we can send out emails to prospects and, and do these things, but they still rely so much on just hammering phones and, and it doesn't really change the offering. It doesn't really change how, how you can grow a bond without that direct connection. Like how do you take somebody from being happy in their current role to being interested in a different role? Yeah. If you can't get on the phone with them, yeah. if you, if they're not answering things like that. And then, I don't want to drag old school recruiters, <laughs> but like the old school like style would be to, I've got to get in front of, I've got my ex person and I really believe in them. Some people will say, oh, I just drop them if they're not being interactive. But some people will say, I got this ex person. I'm just going to, I am going to blow up their phone every single day until they answer my call. <laughs> and sometimes it can eventually work, but they're probably not going to be too uh, excited to speak with you when they do. Maybe you can yeah. recover the call, yeah. but I'm more of, okay, why have the friction there? Yeah. And it comes from my just getting interactive in the, in the internet marketing world where you're like, okay, well, they won't set an appointment. Well, what, what will they do? (laughs) Will they watch a video? Will they read an article? Sure. Will they, will they, are they opening the emails? Are they clicking links? How can we take them from being, how can we take this major step of getting on the phone with me and how do we chop that? From zero, not knowing me at all, to getting on the phone with me, how do I make it as easy as possible? What are many steps that I can get them to take to slowly bring them closer to being willing to get on the phone with me instead of yeah, instead of me I using mean, brute force in a sense? Oh yeah, I could. Your passion is overflowing. It's awesome. Now, um, what? what uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. That's the key, right? You gotta love it, and then people feel it, right? So. Oh, you know, sure. <laughs> so uh, what what are your you know, just sort of some of my closing questions? What are your top habits or routines for success? Ah, uh, yes. So I can give you my my routines. I don't know how successful they will make other people. I will. I make no guarantees. <laughs> <laughs> but I think one of my main things, and this is going to seem unimportant, maybe this is because of I haven't gotten big habits set in yet. But I had I actually don't eat breakfast. I don't it I feel like it bogs down my energy levels. So I don't eat breakfast every day. I just get straight into work, starting my day with the most critical work. And really the whole 
can't remember the author, but the whole eat the frog concept. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we, we kind of taught reading the work that way. And, but my biggest thing is on a daily basis, I like consuming content or the videos, audio of successful people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be in my industry. And I'll, some of these I might, might get uh, ragged on for, but I mean, I like listening to sales experts like, or what I consider sales experts like Grant Cardone, Jordan mm-hmm. Belfort, mm-hmm. you know, marketing experts like Frank Kern, Gary Vee, mm-hmm. business strategists like Patrick Beth David. I just started listening to, and this is more of this is a super old school name, and it it's not it's not direct over business as much as it is mindset. But Norman Vincent Peale, mm-hmm. I started listening to a lot of his stuff and starting to read his book, and. It's just, you always want to surround yourself with people that are greater than you. You know, the old smartest person in the room analogy and everything. But I want to see how top performers perform. And I want to mold myself around. I want to take their great habits and make them a part of, of what I do. I want to see how they think, how they act, what their strategies are. Yeah, and see how I could twist them and implement them for, for for my business. Yeah, you know, it's I just want to. You have to. It's hard say, calling them the best, but it's you want to learn from the best. You want to learn from a lot of different angles. You want to learn from. I mean, I I've always had what would you call them mentors in the recruiting industry that I've worked with. There was a, a fella named Michael uh, Pytrack who runs TMAC Direct in Kennesaw, Georgia. Before I ever got started, I mean, back when I was, I think back when I was at HTI, actually, I heard about the Pinnacle Group, and which is kind of like a, a group for just high-end recruiters, people that are doing very good numbers. And I reached out to him, and he was nice enough to have me over and talk with talk with him about what he does and what his strategy is and what his day-to-day is, how he makes his schedule, how he walks through everything. That was a, a big part of me learning, okay, in order to be successful, you have to you have to go with what works sometimes. If you don't know what works, you have to at least employ somebody else's plan and then craft your own instead of just going going out willy-nilly. So but as far as just everyday habits and routines, it's learning learning from people that I think are smarter than me. (laughs) I don't eat breakfast. (laughs) And then I, I top grade my work where 8am is my most important, toughest work that then in the afternoon is more of like the transactional, the, the phone calls, the, the stuff that I can do with where I feel like I don't need to, I don't need to be completely isolated. I don't need to be super, super focused. Not to, not to say that I'm not super focused here. Right. But Mm -hmm. But just in general, I my habits are not super complicated yet, but or no or austeric, but but they work for me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's important. So, uh, James, yeah, I I think uh, when we talk about growth, I mean, part of growth is bringing in the right people and attracting the right people. So, I think especially in the building material space. There's a lot of uh, innovation and growth and opportunity there. So thank you so much for uh, 
uh, walking us through that. And uh, I'm sure the listeners will get something out of it. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.